Welcome to Bab Pod Die, a Babylon Project miniseries about the comic book Die, where we tumble through feelings about RPGs and some terrible British nerds. I'll be your game master, Justin, and joining me are my two players, Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, how you doing? Uh, mm, I'm all right. I request to pass on that question right now. Fair enough. I'm, I, I, I'm, gonna... I am happy to be here in my weekly therapy with you two. I'm enjoy. I'm I'm happy to be reading some comics again because it's been a hot minute since I read any comics. Yeah, uh, same here. Uh, the only comics I really read anymore are like Marvel's X of X, like whatever of X these days. And even then, uh, I'm like angry at them for like dicking around with Krakoa right now. So I've sort of dr- fallen off of keeping up. So I haven't really been reading a lot of comics. So it was nice to go back. And this is a a, a real, a, just a, it's a hell of a way to drop back into the format. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Um, for listeners, because we didn't film a trailer for this, because we have sort of, we had to figure out something that wasn't American television or films because, well, it's still under strike. And like, there have been some clarifications, but, you know, still don't feel great about it. So... We have moved to a visual format. Um, we're doing the comic Die, uh, which was was released by uh, Image Comics uh, from 2018 and ran through 2021. Written by Kieran Gillen, art by Stephanie Hans, and letters by Clayton Cowles. And this is like maybe a first for us that the entire series is like has the same three creative staff. Yep. Yeah. And and what art? Like, holy cow. Oh. Yeah. For reference, listeners, if you have not read this series, first of all, I'm the only one of us that has read this before. I'm not going to say that I lightly suggested this series for like the last several years. <laughs> I've screamed about it. Yeah. Because it's frankly one of my favorite pieces of art of the last 10 years. Um, part of that is because it's about RPGs. Um, yeah, which is a subject that I would have read it before now, considering like what it is. But the closest I ever got to it was uh, I had an extended conversation with Grant Howitt right before he he started working on it uh, before uh, at Gen Con. Uh, he, he was like raving about the comic before he even did. Uh, Grant Howitt, noted RPG designer. Uh, went in and did like a revision of the die RPG that Kieran Gillen made uh, and turned it into like a fully fledged RPG. And um, he, I I played in a game that he ran at Gen Con and he uh, was raving about how good the comic was uh, at the time. I mean, in my, in my defense also, I did get the trade paperback of it, but it is like, lost in the ether somewhere in that I know it is inside my house, but I searched for like an hour and cannot find it. So yep. uh yep. digital it That'll is. Happen. Yep. Yeah. I'm gonna show this off. This is oh, oh. I, I I I because because I love this game so much, I backed the Kickstarter for the RPG, which I knew was going to get made. Uh, the RPG itself was actually developed in conjunction with the comic as it was being written. So in the back of the first 10 issues, I believe 
and like the the trades we're reading it in in the back of those for the for the first two volumes there are basically devlogs in the back of e- that would be at the back of each issue explaining a little bit about what they were trying to do with the game when we get to the second half of the series there they change from devlogs to something else interesting interesting I can't, I'm excited to see what, like, uh, it turns from, it turns from, like, how the, how the die RPG is being developed to essays by RPG designers to That's talk dope. about stuff, to talk about stuff related to the series or just, like, RPG theory in general. That's cool. It's a really, it, um, it's delightful. And so when I got it, I, I, one of the things I got was there is a thing that you could get your own set of dice Ooh. that are the die RPG themed. And they come in this nice little box with like, you know, I'm a sucker for dice. I literally have a, I have like a huge jar. Like that is like nearly like a gallon of dice that sit on my desk that sit near my desk. Um, so I'm sort of kind of, you know, this is sort of kind of my thing. Yeah. Um, the the pitch the pitch for die in its most simple form would be goth Jumanji. <laughs> it's really true. Yeah, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but that's really what it is. It's goth Jumanji. It's goth Jumanji by way of D and D. It's like it's like te- and it's teenage goth Jumanji too. Yeah, yeah, because I. I'd say like part of it is it's like it's a combination of like RPGs and it's it's an isekai. It's a portal fantasy. Yeah. Something that I really love about this is that this sort of like sort of like every RPG you play is in conversation with the genre that you're trying to emulate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think whenever and whenever you are playing an RPG uh, apart from maybe your first RPG, you were always trying to either challenge or do something different with a genre that you are that you're playing in. Yeah, the, I think one of the one of the joys of the format is getting to push at it stuff and be creative with people backing you up or telling you this is stupid. Yeah, and some of the ways that you can it's like you can you can challenge things sometimes as well. Well, like still engaging with the system too. Like uh, mm-hmm. one of my, one of my favorite things to do when I DM D and D specifically is, you know, especially if I have characters who are like really into doing things like detecting evil, um, just throw in evil NPCs who are just like the shopkeeper who's evil because he's a capitalist. <laughs> cheats on his taxes yeah yeah you know and lampshade lampshading the whole and i do enjoy that it seems like die does not have an alignment system so thank god for that oh no yeah i i really yeah i like the way that this game is very on the nose engaging with the material in that way in the in the in the way that you the same way that fan fiction both is a part of the genre while also deconstructing the genre at the same mm-hmm. time. And I think it, in, in a lot of ways it's, it's doing a lot of the same things. So yeah. I'm, I'm, there's a lot of really interesting hints in these first two issues that we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, I have so many questions that within the ways that it like it interrogates particularly Tolkien. Uh, so I'm interested to get into it. I, 
I've never asked you to to like live tweet a comic book, dude. But when you read issue three, I will need like a a, a minute by minute uh, like reaction. Oh, okay. From you. Fascinating. <laughs> because if you think the Tol- if you think the Tolkien construction or like the Tolkien conversation has start has like is going already, it's it's it hasn't even started yet. All right, noted. Um, I will do that. So my question for our our first session of die. Um, as it were, what was the first game you played that wasn't your, and I'm going to put air quotes here, typical fantasy game that you thought you were better than all those D and D nerds for playing. So my answer to this is somewhat backwards. Uh, my answer to this is uh vampire. Uh, like, yeah. I mean, yeah, but that, that's, in that's, fairness, that's like the default answer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, the first game I ever played was a White Wolf game called Aeon Trinity that they weren't actually allowed to call Aeon because they got sued by MTV that was all about psychic mutants. We played like one session of that. Uh, and then my friend Aaron, editor Aaron, uh, tried to get us to play Shadowrun. And so for two consecutive Saturdays, we built characters and then never actually played the game. Which, as I understand it, is a fairly typical Shadowrun experience from the 90s. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then my friend Ryan decided that we were going to play Vampire. Uh, And we didn't play D&D for like a year because we were too cool to play D&D. And when we finally did condescend to play D&D, we all thought it was great. But we were very snooty about it uh, for that first year. (laughs) We were too cool to play D&D. I think that's like the default state of '90s teenagers, though. Is they're too cool to play D and D. Yeah, we. There was one guy in our sort of like peripheral group that had played D and D, and we were very mean to him about it. I feel bad about it now because we were not we were not nice to that poor kid about the fact that like he had played D and D before. Otto, how about you? Yeah, I think possibly dread actually, um, specifically like. Because that was one of the that was one of the first non D and D games that I ran, um, and where the like smugness came comes in is that I was like, oh yeah, like the mechanics are like you know super cool and like this is great, and then we had the thing where like the tower went down really fast the first time, and then did not go down again for a very long time so we had one player who was just like they're being like okay f- love this i just don't get to play at all <laughs> real quick for our audience who might not know dread could you c- explain it like yeah just, yeah explain sure. it really um, quickly because it's a delightful yeah game. so dread is a horror game um the the principle is essentially it's it's essentially survival horror um or you know you're trying to su- you're trying to your character is trying to survive a like something bad. Um, and every time you take an action that is difficult, you got a Jenga tower and you have to pull a block from the Jenga tower and put it back on. If you succeed at that, you succeed at the thing. If you do not succeed at it, you are eliminated, which yeah. is, which is a really cool mechanic, but like, you know, as I discovered, does have some flaws in terms of like, keeping everybody engaged after they've been eliminated, especially if you have somebody eliminated really, really early. Or if you have a Jenga shark at the table that will just absolutely murder whatever story you had in place by 
gleefully skipping through uh, with fearlessly pulling blocks as if they were invulnerable. This guy. <laughs> see see I, also uh, I am see also a, that a special monster. episode of Campaign Podcast. Yes. Also like that. <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, just in case you ever are tempted to play Dread with me, be aware. I am <laughs> fearless, fearless, and often uh, justifiably so when it comes to Jenga. I don't know what it is. I have a gift. But yeah, it's a, it's a really cool mechanic. Um, there are some like issues with it, and I did not think about those at all prior to running it, and was like very smug about like, oh, this has such a cool mechanic, and then was like, ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it does have a cool mechanic. It does. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it, it can't bite you, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right. So our format for the series is we are going – because Die is a singular story with very little in the way of epis, like standalone story, what we're going to do is we're going to be covering – we're going to be doing two issues, and we're going to be doing a, a guide through of the plot and – we're we're gonna have a lot more interruptions and digressions because, frankly, shrug emoji. Because um, <laughs> there's a lot. These are very, like comparatively to I would say like, especially modern superhero comics. This is a very dense uh, comic series. But yeah, so we're gonna start with issue one, the party, uh, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Stephanie Hans, letters by Clayton Cowles, and you better uh, get familiar with hearing those names. So we start, of course, with a Tolkien quote. Each issue starts with a quote of some uh, of some sort from either um, a fantasy author or somebody in the history of games. Uh, next one, we'll have one from Dave Arneson. Issue three is H.G. Wells. You know, it's going to be it's going to go around the place. This one, uh, uh, this one is uh, Tolkien talking about fandom of all things. Yeah. It's a good quote. I am not at all sure that the tendency to treat this whole thing as a kind of vast game is really good. Certainly not for me, who finds that kind of thing only too fatally attractive. <laughs> um, and he's referring to like the 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 obsession, like the he was basically talking about Tolkien fandom and yeah. like the growing desire for like, oh hey, what does this mean? Like, will you ever write a book about X? Like, you know, this thing you didn't cover in the books and. Yeah, no. I mean, we saw we saw how that ended up for Tolkien. The, the, <laughs> that original quote came from like before Return of the King had even been published. Oh goodness! Yeah, he uh, one of the things because uh, as the resident Tolkien scholar uh, and because Tolkien is a part of this this series, uh, you have unlocked uh, my Tolkien bullshit. <laughs> I'm so happy for this. <laughs> so uh, you're going to get a little more Tolkien than you may have expected. Uh, fun oh, fact that exactly not everybody knows. Uh, Tolkien's son, Christopher, saved every fucking piece of paper his father ever wrote on, more or less. Um, every letter he wrote, Tolkien kept a copy of. This was a thing that people did back in ye olde days. Um, and so we have all his letters. Um, and there's a collection of these, basically all the letters that were not like, hey, George, how's it hanging? Uh, anything that had to do with like Tolkien's writings, his Middle Earth stuff, uh, has been published. And so a lot of these have just fascinating insights. Um, for example, two of my favorites, one in which uh, he expresses a 
blatant distaste for Disney. He found Disney cartoons <laughs> just horribly off-putting, which I think is very funny. Uh, and the second in which, despite that, uh, he says that if Disney wanted to make movies out of his materials, he would do it as long as they either paid him enormously well or gave him creative control. Art or cash. That was his philosophy around yeah. adaptation, which I like to throw That's in great. people's faces when they get, give the whole like rolling in his grave thing. I was like, his heirs just made a half a billion dollars. Yeah. That counts as cash. He's fine. He's sleeping well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's a great quote uh, from him because he did love answering those questions. He was addicted to building this backstory. And if you came up to him and asked this stuff one of the favorite ones sorry last last one i'm sorry oh, yeah, this is this is why you're on this podcast for this this book one of my favorite things here is someone asked him once what the blue wizards were doing and his answer was i don't know yet it hasn't been revealed to me like he didn't say i haven't decided yet or i haven't come up with it he answered as though like he had not discovered it yet and because for him a lot of it was like that. A lot of his writing was exploratory, was uh, in a sense like discovery and it was another world for him. And yes, he was writing it and he was he was exploring it and revising it and going back into it. But also for a lot of it, it was a world that he went into, this world of his own. And so a lot of it, he loved going in and finding these answers. And so if you asked him questions like that, he very much would get obsessed with them. I mean, the Silmarillion took his whole life to to edit and he was constantly editing and revising and adding to it. So yeah, I, the quote makes perfect sense to me. Uh, and I, I had a good laugh at it when I saw it. I have a very brief, um, funny Tolkien story-esque thing. Um, so I, I think it was my mom, but if not my mom, then like a close friend of the family uh, described to me. So- uh, I think it was my mom read read the books for Lord of the Rings as they came out, and on the note of fandom here, that was a brutal cliffhanger because between Two Towers and Return of the King, um, like oh, the yeah. fandom was like Frodo's fucking dead. <laughs> where what are we? My man John do do literary structure. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> where are we going to go from here? Like that the, the whole fandom was like, and everybody reading as they were coming out. And like, now we can just pick up the next book. But at the time it was like, that's, holy I hadn't shit. I had thought about that. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, uh, that's, oh uh, gosh. And Tolkien will not be the only famous, uh, author who has a lot of work. That's letters uh, that had a lot of letters that contributed to RPG development. Don't worry, don't <laughs> worry. It's a it's a very specific thing, but we've got two nickels here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we start off, uh, and also in Tolkien esque fashion, our story starts with a birthday. It is 1991, and we have two birthdays. In fact. Uh, that of Dominic, who is sort of our lead character, who is better known as Ash by all of his friends, and Solomon, his friend. Ash and his sister Angela go to Solomon's house, where, Sam, where Solomon has offered to run a game to celebrate. Angela, who has been grieving over the family dog, uh, came to the game to cheer herself up. 
our, our narration, which is an Ash in the future, remarks that if he was a better brother, he wouldn't have brought her. Hindsight's twenty twenty, dude. Yeah. Um, so the good I, I to start off the the first like shot we get of or the first uh, like image we get of like the entire group they have we have is delightful. Because we're going to go meet our, our group here. There is Chuck, who is the, the group clown, um, who has a crush on Angela. Uh, Matthew, who is the, the who is the uh, described as the one black kid in a Midlands metal crowd. <laughs> um, who is going through it because his mom recently passed. Isabel, who is an adopted French girl, um, who is a bit of an asshole. And who is dating Saul, who is the um, he's the game master of the group. He's the he's the super creative one. Uh, Saul tells the group that they are going to that he's made a special game uh, for Ash's 16th birthday and that it is sort of kind of a fantasy game. And there is there there is a line of the duration here. It was 1991 and we were arrogant RPG elitists plus younger sister who really wanted to be cyber cyberpunk. You can imagine how well that went down because <laughs> 91 good. is like I I think 91 is still even like pre vampire. Uh, but I will look that up. But I I think you're it came out in 1991. Okay, yeah, because this is like I mean, and like vampire is like the the watershed for like when. When drama kid, like it's it's the watershed moment for like. Well, that was when like when being a drama kid playing an RPG is like becomes a mainstream thing. Yeah, that's when it went mainstream. There were other non D and D games out there that were like common enough that like kids people played them and they were out there. But yeah, Vampire was the one where suddenly you went into Barnes and Noble and there was there were vampire books and you could yeah like. Like you said, like the the drama kids were playing vampire all of a sudden, and it was like it was a thing. It was everywhere. Saul, uh, my God! I, one thing I love about this is how shitty these teenagers are. Yeah. Oh, they're awful. Yeah. I hate. Uh, it's almost awful. All, I love them. The only one I don't hate is Matthew because he says basically nothing in this scene. <laughs> he just sits there and is sad, uh, and you can't really hate him for that. But like Chuck is gross Saul is smug Isabel is just yeah. awful Ash seems fine Angela is like the annoying kid sister like but they're all kind of annoying right off the bat which I appreciate yeah, yeah. I mean, like I mean they're teenagers it's realistic yeah anyone who, who <laughs> has been 16 remembers the just how awful 16 was Side, sidebar very quick sidebar I like literally do not understand all the people who like pine for high school and like oh god no like i like high school was the best time of my life and i'm just like something some, something's wrong with you man it's for people who peaked then yeah yeah i definitely don't want to go back to being a a so even more socially maladjusted lopsided nerd bigger more well i'm still a nerd okay i just don't want to go back to being even more socially maladjusted and lopsided <laughs> there's yeah my, my favorite one of my favorite panels here is so like looking like like he's very he's like very fed up with he's like he, you know you have no idea how good this is this is fantasy for grown-ups yeah and it's such a melodramatic line that's, 
It's so good because it's like, and it's like, and, and like the narration's like, yeah, that's when we were sold because like, yeah, no, because and when you're like, when you're like 15, 16, the last, you, you want to do anything that's for grownups. You do not want anything age targeted at you. Yes. Yeah. And so the group goes through um, guided freeform character creation, which uh, it's described as anything was permissible, if not always advisable, which um, I've read some, you know, you know, I've played some, you know, I've played more than my share of RPGs. Of Oh, you can do anything. It just might not be the best thing. <laughs> you know, some of those work a lot better than others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Soul prevents, presents the special dice for the game. Um, and... This is a fascinating the, mechanic that like they this, present here. Uh, that each yeah. character gets their own die. Yep. Yeah. They just get there's one in the game and it's theirs. Um, and we get this like fun two page like there's a two page sp- uh, spread here, and like we just get like a lot of like quick cuts of each person describing their character and, and Saul responding, Saul handing them a die. Yeah, like naming their class and giving them a die. Ash is playing a character who's described as a diplomat with teeth, um, who is the dictator. And that's that's an interesting play on words because it's it's like like dictating people's um, state of mind. Yeah, we will we will see. I will see how everybody's powers work in the next issue. But uh, yeah, um, Matt being the most depressed. Like the like that. This is pre emo, but man, you are up in it. Wants to turn emotions into power, um, and so he is declared as the grief knight and given the D eight. Angela, who came here to play a cyberpunk and is going to play a cyberpunk, (laughs) is the Neo who gets a D ten. Isabel is playing the Godbinder and gets a D twelve. Um, Chuck just it's like fuck it. I'm just gonna. I just want to do random shit and have fun. So he is the fool with a D six, the, the plain ordinary D six, as it is referred yes. to. I I mean, I will say like, okay, what is your favorite die? What is the shittiest die? This is this is a question now. Uh, my favorite die. I got. Uh, so this is going to show my my storyteller roots are showing. My favorite die is probably. For pure nostalgic value, might be the D10. I like the I like the D12 because it has um, hexagonal faces, and those are pretty. Yeah, I will say the D the D12 or on a pentagonal pure, like aesthetic standpoint, the D12 is dope. Yeah, it's like it's not so cluttered as the 20, but it's got val- lots of lots of faces and nice shape. <laughs> and the D4, but yeah, the 10 for me is just like nostalgic uh, and the d4 sucks it's just a cow yeah it's yeah. just there for you to step on in the night yeah i was gonna say the the d tr- <laughs> the, the d4 ranks the lowest because have you ever stepped on one yeah <laughs> i don't know I, I i i will admit i sort of kind of have a little bit of a hate for a d6 but just because like how every this is this is like how every indie rpg is like we only use d6s or d like we only use like d20s and d6s for this game I'm yeah i like, get you yeah like, I want, yeah I want, I have so many dice. I get that the D6 is like, you know, statistically it's like very it's very neat and stuff and you and the math balances out and stuff, but And and it's likely and like it's used for other things, so it's easier to come across if you like don't yeah. have access to the fancy RPG dice. 
But you know what? You know, you know who buys indie RPGs? RPG nerds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not the guy that's only got Monopoly in his closet. Right, yeah. We all have dice. We all have seven sets of math rocks. Give me something D4-based even. Uh, sidebar, my uh, buddy that I play Magic with now, couple, once a week, uh, has a pair of hand-forged D6s. A, co- a former co-worker of his has, a, has an actual like blacksmithing setup in his backyard and made him D6s out of railroad spikes and they God, weigh cool. so much you put them in your I'd hand kill and kill somebody with them you just it's like <laughs> you, you you drop them into your palm and you're just like Hoo! they're incredible they're super cool anyway saul gets to keep the d20 uh because he is uh the master he says it's an unusual game we're all in this together and we get we get the we get the we get the the mandatory joke of Okay, these are fancy dice, but do we only get one dice? Oh, well, what will you ever learn? The word is die. Uh, also, we should note which, the characters that it's uh, it's Ash here who says dice, and is Isabel who says di- or, or Saul who says die, and Isabel corrects yeah. him, and then we get a thing uh, where Ash says in the narration that he can't tell us what happens next, which is very very specific wording. Yes. When Saul's mom checks in on them, the teens are gone. Cut to two years later, um, <laughs> where they reappear on a road in Nottingham. Uh, Saul is not with them, and Angela is missing an arm. And again, they can't say what happened. We we fast forward to 25 years later, so I think that's... 2018. Uh, so it would have been modern day as the uh, comic was coming out. Where uh, Dominic is greeted by his partner Sophie on his birthday. Dominic uh, acknowledges that he and, and specifically we get it we like it's put like almost immediately that it's no longer Ash, it's Dominic. Uh, which I Is Ash short for which, their their last name or was it a nickname? It's a nickname, from what I understand. Okay, we'll get into a little bit more, but uh, I was just curious if it—I yeah. it, I couldn't remember if it, if that had been established. Yeah, we do say it's—it sounds like it's a commonly held nickname enough that Solomon's mom is noted is noted in in Dominic yeah. slash Ash's internal narration that she is one of the few. She's the only person outside of his family that calls him by his first name. Cool. Dominic acknowledges that he doesn't really like his birthday, or at least presents. Um, Saul's, Solomon's mother appears at his door, begging for any information about Solomon. Uh, he tells her that he can't say everything, he can't say anything, and Sophie scares Saul's mother off by threatening to call the cops on her. Uh, we also see that uh, Saul has a large scar on his chest, um, or Dominic has a large scar on his chest. That night, he meets with Angela at a wine bar. And we get a, a little update on her. She left her husband uh, for a woman named Susan. Susan uh, and her broke up. Um, she, uh, Her husband won't have her back. And now she's going through a divorce with a custody battle. Oof. Which she's also a game developer now. <laughs> which, I mean, somebody like, you know, it sounds like she is, has between her job and her uh, personal life has the absolutely cracking time 
Yeah. Because I know how game development works, or at least I've heard enough horror stories. <laughs> uh, they toast over uh, some wine, and the barkeep uh, notes that a package addressed to Ash uh, was left at the bar earlier. The inside is a bloody D20. Uh, Dominic goes outside to smash it, but he stops and says that he can't make this decision on their own and they have to tell the others. Uh, they meet at Chuck's place, uh, which he's got like a very nice fancy house. Um, he's apparently a fantasy author now. I got the impression that he had, at the time that I was reading it, I got the impression that he had kind of like used some of their experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Although, I, I mean, we find out later that they can't talk about what happened, but maybe he's like cribbing indirectly from those experiences. Yeah. Because you get the sense that like Dominic slash Ash finds his 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 writing and movies very distasteful. Yeah, um, that's the gist from it. Uh, we get like he's got like a big house. He um, has he has he's on. Wife number X, X is greater than one. Inappropriately um, young wife. Yeah. Yes. And he's at least popular and he's known to be at least popular enough that he has film deals for his books. Um, we see the rest of the gang. Uh, Isabel is now a literature teacher and Matt is a stat professor. Um, Represent. Angela. Er, er, <laughs> uh, uh, Isabel apologized to, apologized to Dominic about being an ass when they were younger and possibly the most relatable line in this entire comic so far comes in. Uh, Dominic says, and forget it. We were kids. It's okay. I barely remember it. The narration. I lie, proving I haven't changed as much as I'd like to think. <laughs> which, <laughs> fuck you, Kieran Gillen. <laughs> They move on to the subject of the die. Uh, they declare uh, it's decided that like they're going to decide to do with it because it's related. You know, it's their personal trauma. Um, as they like go to examine it, the die starts to glow and lift into the air. A disembodied voice declares, "Once more, the Grand Master threatens the realms. The land calls out for a hero. Is it you?" I, I'd also like to point out something small here, uh, which is be, before before the the die starts to levitate, we have uh, we have a frame with um, Isabel saying she can't believe she's petrified to vote dice, and it's and it's Dominic slash Ash who corrects her this time. Oh yeah, it's, it's reversed. Very good. Um... They get sucked into the die. Dominic grabs the dice and they fall to they fall like a shooting star um, towards a world that is a D20 shaped. Icos, it's an icosahedron. It is a D20. I um, thought that was a very funny like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very weird like touch there. Yeah. But there's nothing about this that is particularly subtle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. They're, the group is back in fantasy garb, and they look like they're old characters, um, including uh, Angela, who now has a like a, a sort of like robo prosthesis. Yeah, prosthetic there, and Dominic with some fancy white on black lettering removes the. Hold on, hold on. No, 
All right. On three, we will all say how we say that, how we pronounce this word. Because I, I don't imagine any of us saying it the same way. One, two, three. Gish. Gaze. Geese. Three for three. None of us have the same have the same pronunciation. I, I go with geese because of all of Terry Pratchett's geese jokes. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, okay. I always thought it was gaze. I, uh, I like I I've heard it pronounced with like the but like there there's like the the I, I did it I, I spoke with somebody who did, who's like had like a background in Irish mythology who pronounced it gish. Um like put it. S H sound at the end, so that's how that's how it imprinted on my brain. Frankly, I can't find two people who agree on how to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny one. Uh, other, I think it's also worth noting here <clears throat> in this scene that Dominic is no longer a man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Has a uh, has a very femme present, like has a, a has a femme presentation that is. Yeah, it's it's very cool. Like has. Everybody's sort of like an idealized form of themselves in here. Um, but I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. It's more than an idealized pre- form yeah, because a- Dominic goes from like clearly a a masculine character to like being in a, a dope black dress, a dope black dress that's like cut down to the navel. Uh, yeah. It's a very, it's a very drastic change. Yeah. Yeah. And the scar on Dominic slash slash Ash's chest is different as well. It's like a, I don't know. It's like a sort of like a starburst pattern in the, what I'm going to put is air quotes, real world. Yeah. And, and the fantasy world is, I don't know. It, it, it looks like a flame of a sort. And, yeah. and there's also, um, a scar slash flames on Ash's face as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That there's kind of one side of the face that's concealed by hair and underneath that's there's a kind of like flaming scar. But yeah, they break the the gaze and they're now able to finally talk about it and it turns out that they literally couldn't talk about it. Yeah. Which, Which I thought I was find... a dope touch. Yeah. Like I hadn't picked up on the fact that they literally couldn't talk about it that they had been compelled to not talk about what happened. Uh, but it was it was dope. That was a nice touch. Yeah, yeah. And this is like our first taste of the powers here, which interestingly shows it's like, oh hey, lot like magic cast in this world still has effects in the real world. Yeah, which was an interesting when I went back and like thought about what that meant. That's we'll talk about <laughs> like portal fantasies and like that kind of the metaphysics of that, so to speak, mm-hmm. sort of the meta there. But it's interesting that it's clearly not uh, a casual. It's not like a like a fantasy world in the sense that like they go into it and stuff happens and they come out and it's over. Like there's clearly lasting consequences there, which is a certainly a subgenre of portal fantasies, if you will. Yeah. So um, immediately, uh, Isabel and Dominic uh, argue about their decision to leave Soul behind in their first visit here. And uh, Dominic says that he thought that the D20 was a sign that Saul was alive. As it turns out, he is. Um, he says that, it, uh, that the Grand Master imprisoned him, but he resisted and escaped, killing the Grand Master and replacing him. He takes the D20, gouges it into his eye, so he has two of them sitting in his eye sockets. 
uh, and they are glowing, and he tells them that they are going to finish the game, which is not creepy at all. Yeah. Yeah. I had to go back and look at that frame after you said that. I thought that, like, I, I didn't, I'm not sure what I thought, but I didn't pick up on the idea that he literally, like, gouged his eye out with the D20 and stuffed the D20 in there in that frame. Because you look at his hand and there's like blood and goop running down his hand when he's jamming the D20 in there, which is fucking gross. And if he ever gets um, out, he's going to have a a real bad time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't Um, think that's high on his list of, 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 uh, (laughs) concerns. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like possibly after 27 years in a weird magic fantasy world, he's not worried uh, at this point about the consequences of going home. Just throwing that out there. Yep. I figure since we are done with issue one, Jude, I mean, if you want to go on a little bit about portal fantasy, go right okay. ahead. Yes, please. Uh, so <laughs> you may or may not know this about me, but I actually have a little bit of a fucking thing about portal fantasies. Um, I think they're really interesting. Um, Particularly, I like stories that interrogate the portal fantasy a little bit. C.S. Lewis is the sort of OG portal, fa- not really the OG portal fantasy, but is the one that a lot of people know best. It's sort of like the modern originator of the genre. I mean, like it's the the genre has existed for centuries. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. But it's definitely it's not unlike how Tolkien is like the OG sword and, bo- sword and fantasy elves and orcs of you know, mm-hmm. modern originator. He very much sort of put the modern stamp on the portal fantasy. Uh, but there've been a lot of modern works that look at that portal fantasy and, and, and reinterpret it in interesting ways. Uh, and I think they're all re- really interesting in the ways that they re-examine what it would, what it means to step into another world and what, what those stories are trying to do from a meta standpoint. And then from a more, I think more interesting to me is what is, what would it really, what is a more sort of nuanced way to look at those stories? What Mm -hmm. can those worlds act? What would those worlds actually be doing? What, what else can you do with a story like that? You have uh, Shauna McGuire's, wayward children series which i think is some of the like most creepy and sophisticated portal stories that you'll that you'll ever read the magician series uh which is erroneously referred to as harry potter for adults or harry potter goes to college which is not (laughs) it's uh it's more like a kid with depression goes to Narnia and knows magic. I don't know. Yeah. The magicians is, a, I, I would say, a, I would say a kid with depression goes to Narnia and thinks that going to Narnia and learning magic will cure his depression, but it, but it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, both, both the novels and the TV show, which is a really fascinating uh, sort of use case here because the books and the novels do two entirely different things with the same material. Which is really interesting to me. Um, anyway, uh, all really interesting ways that portal fantasies interrogate this idea of stepping into another world. And what does that, what does that do? Who do you become when you step into another world? Do you become an idealized version of yourself? Do you become 
who are you when you're disconnected from the world you're from and you go into a fantasy world? Do you go into a nightmare? Do you turn the fantasy into a nightmare? What do you, what do you do there? And I think it's just a really fan, a, a really, really interesting genre form. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. and then you have the, all of the weird evolutions of it too, like, like Isekai. Yeah, yeah, Isekai, which is again, not a genre I'm super well versed in, but one I'm familiar with. Uh, and that I, but I think it's very interesting the the anime take on it, where you just have like a random normal who falls into an anime, basically. Something I find really interesting is like all the character designs for their fantasy equivalents. Yeah, um, they're, like they're all really good. As somebody who does not have particularly visually like who who doesn't have like a, a like a particularly good like dictionary for expressing what I find cool about art, Stephanie Hans is really fucking good at her job. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, like you know, it, it's all the characters feel different. They feel like something that they were re- like that they realized as you know. This is my character in a 1991 weird emo RPG. And like there there are certain design similarities, but like everybody else has their own feel. Like Isabel has like looks like a very traditional cleric. Yeah. Yep. Matt looks like sort of a, a tr- sort of like a spin on what would be like sort of a sensible take on a knight. Like he's not the it's he not is plate not male. The, he's it's not, not plate male. Yeah, it almost looks like like a Kevlar chess piece yeah. and cloak kind of thing. Yeah. Um like Isabel has like full I mean it's a it's an evil it's like the slutty evil sorceress is at fit and honestly slay. Um <laughs> uh Angela ha, is like I mean we're going to learn a little bit more here but she is like it is the it, it is a fantasy take on what a a shadow runner a shadow run character looks like. Yeah. Yeah, I actually we'll get into it with the next issue when we find yeah. out more about how her power works. But I think to me that's the most in, like the most interesting like spin. It, it, I don't know. We'll see yeah. where it goes. But certainly yeah. in the next issue, I I think it's a fascinating reinterpretation of that classic D and D trope. Chuck is wearing a leather jacket <laughs> that has like that has like a demon with dye on its forehead on the back it's like it's the cover art for issue two and like if you ever if i ever need to explain someone the the character of chuck i use this cover as an example where he's wearing the leather jacket it has he's got his man bun and his earring <laughs> yeah you he's know also he looks like he looks like if a he looks like if one of the hobbits got really into punk he looks like a like a punk rock <laughs> hobbit because he's kind of got like the waistcoat like and the brown and green color scheme. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. He looks uh, like a punk rock hobbit. But the cover the cover for issue two has him with a vape and brass knuckles. It's great. In the same hand. I f- I yeah, I forgot that. It, I, I saw that on the cover and I was like, what the fuck is going on with this cover? Oh, God. And uh, and the brass knuckles say Chuck C.H.U.K. Oh gosh, he really. I I say this in a way that like he he gets more like he gets more fleshed out as a character, but he is the worst. <laughs> he is the worst. <laughs> like like Solomon is like a like he is he's like the actual villain here, but Chuck is the worst. Yeah, <laughs> we've all had a Chuck in our RPG groups. All right, to move on to issue two. 
players. Uh, our quote for this one is from David Artisan to Gary Gygax when Gygax asked him for a copy of the rules for the game he just played. Rules? What rules? That's a great quote. <laughs> Which, uh, I mean, honestly, you know, yeah, that, that's the rule. To my, my view on RPGs is similar to um, Captain Barbosa from Pirates of the Caribbean. The rules are more what you call guidelines. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, our second issue starts in the wasteland of a ruined city where Saul tells them it's their move. Uh, and, he, and he addresses them as players. Which Saul's crazy. Yeah. Oh, he right. is absolutely cuckoo. Yeah. The sense I get off Saul immediately is like, yeah, he's just batshit. Dominic explains in narration how they escaped the first time. Escaping die is actually as simple as everybody wishing to go back at the same time. They all have to mean it and they all have to do it at the same time. But it's re- it is really as simple as click your heels three times. And um, as it turns out, the Grand Master, the villain of this planet, wanted everybody to spread word of the fantasy world to the real one. So they created the Gish and um, and they took down the Grand Master and as they were wishing to go home, the Grandmaster dragged Sol out of the circle, leaving him there while the rest went home. Sol ends up apologizing to them that it took so long to bring them back. <laughs> and this is the part where you should start like having the red alert sirens from Star Trek going off. Yep. He states that the Grandmaster had monstrous plans for the people he lured here. But now that he's gone, the world is safer and they can play. The group protests, but Sol is not listening. He is in full GM. I have. I am going to monologue. I don't care what anybody else is doing here. You are getting a lord up. Yeah, he. The part there where he says, "I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It took so long for to bring you back." Uh, and he says, "You know," and he says this whole thing about, you know, it took so long to finally kill the master. And you're like, okay, maybe he's just like, lo- like been alone too long crazy like doesn't know how, like you know that's fine like that 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 tracks and then he goes but we won he's dead we can play and you're like uh-oh that's where he <laughs> yeah. tur- that's where he turns the corner from like alone too long too long crazy into uh james bond villain monologue crazy you're like oops nope i've misinterpreted what this is this is this is not uh I missed you so much crazy. This is uh and now you die, Mr. Bond crazy. <laughs> um Isabel has my favorite line of this issue. Saul, I'm 43. My impossible fantasy is being able to pay off my mortgage or have my mom stop sighing whenever kids turn up in conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh um yeah, the the group is uh protesting but Saul is not listening he explains he has prepared the world for their game uh with a theme included they can never go home <laughs> to which screaming screaming um Saul tells them to defeat the grand master then blinks away they are then approached by a hot elf queen 
Um, <laughs> I mean, it really, it really is. Who is apparently based off an older student that they were that the, most of the group lusted after. Yeah, in high school, uh, which is very funny. Just like you know those characters. Yeah. Um, I love this. Compared to Agria, it was dumb and obvious, and we were elitist teenagers who did not want to see the elves, Mister Frodo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, and that—that's also like a. I love that that's, line. That's so both, much. That's both a like teen mood, but it's also like a gaming mood too. Like you know, whenever you have a a party where you're like, there's this there's this nice thing that I've made that you can interact with and like have fun interacting with this like nice thing that I made for you. And they're like, no, I refuse. Yeah. 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 The uh the the queen like like tells them of great peril, starts NPC monologuing, the Grand Master Thread is a lad. Um when talking about re- rewards, the elf queen makes a pass at Chuck, which then causes him to draw a sword on the queen and hit it and hit her with it. Because frankly, um, Chuck is at least genre aware. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like and, and his just, his line that like as if the elf princess was ever gonna fuck me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're no Aragorn, my friend. I I feel like I feel like. I have the suspicion that this is essentially going to be Chuck's like superpower is that he writes this shit. Sort of, kind of. Yeah. Um, like that, that the genre awareness, like that he's the fool, right? Um, that's his yeah. archetype. And part yeah. of, part of the, part of the archetype of the fool is being able to essentially see what others cannot and speak truth. I don't know. Great. I was gonna say, I'm interested to see what the fallen are. They're barfing binary in that first frame. Yeah. And the fact that they're, they call them the orcs, but they're not truly conscious, he says, a trap with legs and something you can kill with no moral questions whatsoever. Squints. Hence, and it's, hence, air quotes, orcs. And it's a good joke. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't. Yeah. Look, if you want to hear a lengthy explanation <laughs> of why that's a complicated, where all, where this becomes a complicated topic, I have an Atherbeth episode I can recommend to you. But the whole question of, of the, the moral ambiguity of orcs in Tolkien's Legendarium is a big one. And so, A, I am, I, I'm, I'm impressed that Gillen is, is like, it shows the depth of his like Tolkien familiarity that he is winking at like this corner of Tolkien fandom that he knows that Tolkien wrestled with how to make killing orcs uh, a morally unambiguous thing. Yeah. It's, I think one of Karen Gillan has, for a little bit of background has done a lot of, has done a lot of comics on a lot of various stuff. I, I, this is, this is my favorite work of his, but I, there's Wicked and the Divine. There's um, all the all the stuff he's done from Marvel. Is so good, yeah. Um, at about the same time as this, a little bit later, he was working on a series called. It would have been like it came. It started um, about ten months after this one, called Once in Future, um, which is about a group of British white nationalists 
who resurrect King Arthur. Fascinating. Which ends up causing, like, a British apocalypse. Basically, it frames, like, the return of King Arthur as the return of a li- of an uber lich. Oof. Um, That's I, 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 I gotta read that now, too. Oh, it's so it's it's delightful. And it's like there there's there's a lot of stuff that is like sort of par- it runs sort of kind of parallel to die, at least in like thoughts on like deconstructing fantasy. But through the lens of like instead of a D&D game, it's a monster of the week. Interesting. I'd also like to make a note on Kieran Gillen's work, which is that um, in both Wicked and Divine and a lot of the stuff that um, he's done with Marvel, uh, he has done a lot of, like, realistic shitty teens. He he, he loves that, really. Right? Um. Like, he's got, you know, there's Journey into Mystery, there's Young Avengers, there's again wicked in the divine like he seems he seems to really have a knack for writing shitty teens he must have been a really shitty teen i mean it sounds like it i i do sort of (laughs) find it funny that like out of like all of the the series that i have like the entire collection of like on this i have like this weird like this weird diagonal shelf that sits in my windowsill um, and the only, there are three series that sit there, like that are that are the full ones. Die is presently loaned out to my sister um, because I do that. Um, there is also House of X and Powers of Ten and Young Avengers. So Kieran Gillen, <laughs> two out of three complete series that I've collected. Um, yeah. Um, so the they engage in battle with the fallen, and we learn a little bit about all of the group's powers. Um, Chuck is based on narrative convention, basically. Um, so long as he does things without thinking um, and is swashbuckling enough, he'll he'll most it'll mostly work out for him. <laughs> Which is a wild power. I I yeah. love it. It is like it is so long as you are leaning into it and like playing to genre and playing to your character, like things start to swing towards your end. Isabel, meanwhile, um, is the Godbinder, and uh, I, I love the I love the description of it in the in the text. Godbinders are clerics as demonologists, um, because what is uh, it, this is Isabel's like conception of the character when she was a she was a, t- a shitty teenager in nineteen ninety one. What's the difference between a demon and a god is exactly the same question as what's the difference between a terrorist and a freedom fighter? <laughs> That's a good one. So makes deals with gods and bargains. She summons a bear god to like help out the group. Uh Angela has like Chuck pulls off some gold from one of the fallen and presents it to Angela. Um, and we learn that her cyberpunk, like her, her cyberware, as it were, is powered by fairy gold. Jude, how much is the line the uh, describing the fair exactly targeted at your bullshit? Very precisely. <laughs> I was, I was yeah. like, I forgot about this line and I read it and I was like, I texted Aaron and I'm like, has there been a sentence in the English language more targeted? What if William what if Gibson William defined Gibson? elves? <laughs> God, I I have a particular love of like 
well-designed elves. One of my biggest pet peeves is when people think they're being clever because like our elves live in trees or <laughs> our elves have purple eyes. <laughs> like do, do, do something, do something different. Do something cool. Actually ask like what was Tolkien doing with elves and answer that question differently. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not many people actually do that. Most people just take Tolkien's elves and paint them different colors, mm-hmm. um, which I find incredibly frustrating. Um, and Tolkien would have found derivative and boring. <laughs> um, and uh, I, the idea of William Gibson designed elves is fascinating. I'm very interested to see where that's going. Uh, for the record, uh, the best elves that aren't elves I've seen uh, were written by a shitty misogynist. So I'm not going to mention where they're from, but they're very, very well designed. I'm angry that the guy turned out to write one of the most joyless slog, ugly books I've ever written. I've ever read. So I don't recommend it to people, but it's the most brilliant world building around new elves I've ever seen. Jude also, okay, Jude, you really need to read Discworld because Justin, you want to yeah. re- you want to see Jude re- see the elves in Discworld, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I I do plan to. I mean, I'm getting there. There's just a yeah. lot of books. Yeah, but that's, but that's you fair. could but you you could prioritize these. For I, us. I, I, I will make an effort. For, for me. I will. I, I will make an effort. I am reading one right now. Yeah. Sort we, of amongst like will, the four books I'm reading. Yeah, we will we will we will celebrate Jude for that. That the, the um I'll I'll say that the tagline the tagline for Pratchett's elves is um elves are terrific. They inspire terror. Okay. That's that's interesting. Yeah. I'm into that. So Angela's uh, has like you know cool a cyber basically fantasy cyberpunk implants um, and there's a really interesting monologue or like a little note here of describing how the neo works and Ash says I never get why people didn't trust rogues in D and D all D and D players are thieves. Uh, that's so but, true but neos it makes perfect sense you don't trust neos as their addicts um because every day they need new fairy gold to power their implants Oof. yeah then we get to matt and um you know some people are absolutely shitty to their friends and ash demonstrates why he is here um ash explains his power first that uh, as the dictator, the dictator controls emotions. And you see where this is going, right? Ash goes ahead and makes Matt relive his mother's funeral. Um, and, which then uh, summons his sword as it gets powered up. And the sword itself is mean to him. The yeah. sword says, I'd say I missed you, but it would imply you were worth missing. I missed you no more than your family will be missing you now. To the which- sword is writing fucking My Chemical Romance lyrics. <laughs> and Matt uh, absolutely cleans house. 
Um, and between all between all of the powered up crew, uh, the fight is over in like 30 seconds. And they set out with a plan. They have to get to the realm called 20, which I assume that they're starting at realm called 1, so they have to get all the way to the other side of the die because that's how a D20 works. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And I'll, I'll note a design thing here, which is that they're they are standing at a facet yes. as we speak. So you know, we see... And each facet has a different biome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, love that. Love the love the one world one biome thing in RPGs. Like or like one one like you have the forest section, the desert section, which probably will end up being a little bit racist, and you will start to see your GM in a different way. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, you know, and you know it's. One 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 level or one adventure or one biome. That's that's how it works, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, um, and they're gonna convince convince air quotes convince Saul to go home, so they all can. Their choices are to go through uh, something called Eternal Prussia, um, <laughs> which is uh, run by clockwork fascists. Um, that's, travel that through ominous. a realm. Uh, travel through a realm they previously visited on their last. Uh, adventure called Angria or to hike across a war zone ominously called the front as they are arguing about this. um, uh, They also talk about how they are going to treat it. Um, The rules, the the old house rules is about, as he calls them, which I think is one of the most interesting parts here where they, again, this is part of the portal fantasy meta narrative where they, decide that they don't know how I mean they don't know how real die is so they have to treat it like it's real just in case which I feel like is fairly safe as uh, Abby points out she you know doesn't have an arm in the real world it's pretty fucking real to her yeah like yeah yeah I I, (laughs) it's like Chuck is like seriously I'll go with whatever you want you guys decide it's not as if I want to really do bad things anyway says the man who stabbed his childhood crush right I just love that it's like first he's like oh no I don't really want to be a murder hobo I just want to go with whatever you guys do but just like fucking murder it's like you know I'm not even (laughs) thinking about the terrible things I did perhaps the most murder murder hobo-y of them all (laughs) yeah yeah now, I mean, the reason you don't trust a rogue is because the people who play rogues are assholes. So then uh, they as they are as they are talking, a knight approaches the group and addresses Dominic specifically as Lady Ash um, and that he is here to fulfill his duty. The knight, Sir Lane, was a uh, a man who Ash had a fling with and who had Ash use his power to make it so that he would not rest until he saw her again. And, oh, God, oh, no, oh, no, don't, no. Um, so the knight is dead, kept alive by that power, with his eyes rotted out and worms crawling from them. Oh, Jesus Christ, please make it stop. Yep. Yeah, this is pretty rough. I love that they just slide right back into it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Isabel immediately, like, summons a god to give sight back to this poor animated slimy meat pile knight yeah we get we get a new we get a new god the mourner uh, who 
doesn't she doesn't offer the mourner anything uh, other than a favor, which I mean, that shows you how out of touch with somebody is. You is you not say, God, I'll owe, I'll just owe you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. This will this will not come back to hurt anybody. Telltale Games. The mourner will remember this. <laughs> <laughs> the the site is restored via the mourner's powers and turns into just like uh, and curses Ash. And then turns into just like putrefied flesh. Yeah, it's gross. Uh, one thing that I that I absolutely love with the art here is anytime you see red, it is like the most vibrant red possible. Yeah, yeah. the the color palette is really really intense because it's it's essentially like reds and like greenish yellows. It's a very muted palette except for red, yeah. which is always vivid. Yeah. Alabaster Princess is another thing that he calls her. Yeah. Um, um it certainly and then that and the fact that they say they will not go through to Angria certainly implies that they they had some they 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 had some role. They they had some like station or they had a, they were somebody yeah. in Angria. They they interacted with people there. Yeah. And also, it, also, it's uh, heavily implied that um, Ash banged that knight back in the olden days. Oh, no, I yeah, mean, he's referred to as the Knight of Kisses. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean. yeah, and and the and, and an interesting thing is that in the like the the three panels of flashback we get there, the all the reds turn into pinks. Yeah. And it's like it's very it's a lot warmer. Okay, let's start. Let's start the talk here about Ash. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How do we pronounce a name? Is a legitimate question yeah. here. Because we so, have we have I mean, Dominic, who seems to have a, at least like mostly mask presentation in the, real world, and he goes by Dominic, and yeah. and then there's Ash, who is very yeah. femme. So. What I will say here is that at least in having read this entire series, I am like, I will be referring to like, there's like three characters here. There's Dominic in the real world. Mm -hmm. There is Ash, the player and Lady Ash, the character. Yeah. And for the first two, I'm going to generally refer to them as he, at least for, for now in the story. And Lady Ash, the character, though I mean, we're this is <laughs> this is the point of you know this this is the part where it's like you yeah, because because Dominic slash Player Ash is in the body of character Ash, and there is it seems like some level of like distinction there. Um, yeah, there's a line. There's a line where Dominic is talking about Lady Ash's powers and says something like, what else is she good for? Not what else am I good for? Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. We're going to, uh, uh, Jude asked in her document is not clear to what degree this is. I played a fee. Uh, I played a woman in a D and D game versus a trans person to which, um, I have the comment. <laughs> um, we're we're gonna don't worry. This book is 
chock full of gender. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, honestly, and that question can kind of be yes also. Yeah. Because yeah. I know more than one person that did a lot of cross gender D and D before they were comfortable enough to uh, come out and, you know, be trans. So yeah. it, there's a, the degree to which that it may be both of those things yeah. may also be there. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, for, I, for example, I play, I play, so we're going to, we'll, we'll talk about this later in the book, but this is a book that actually helped me understand and like come to terms with being non-binary a lot better. Um, uh, and I like it, it recent years has balanced out, but I used to plenty of play only women characters for a long time or genderless characters, but so, you know, it'll be an interesting conversation. So the group deciding that they do not want to revisit any of those painful memories of the past, um, decide that they're going to go through the war zone of the front. And think uh, about what, think about how like negative your memories must be. If you're like, Hmm, bad memories or a war zone or I, or even worse, good memories or a war zone. Because yeah. it's yeah. it seems to be implied that the time that they previously spent in this world was not all bad. Yes. Correct. Yeah. You know, it seems like with the like with the the flashbacks with the the joy night there, like it seems like mm. they yeah. in many respects had a good time. At least for portions of it, that a good but, time was but also like I think that's the point where they realize that like when they traversed that world before, they were shitty teens, and like they do not want to face like the downstream effects of those actions. Something that I also like is in the in on the like sort of edge of realms um, when where we see we see the one that is obviously the front. This is not fantasy battlefields. It is. Trenches in barbed wire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so next time we will be covering issues three and four of Die, which will be Dungeons and the M. Um, Interesting. Hey, Jude, um, you know, we've already seen a lot of Tolkien here. What do you think? Do you think that he might come up in a, in a thing about uh, trenches and barbed wire? I mean, there's a remote possibility that a man who <laughs> spent several years in the trenches or adjacent thereof may. Yes. Um, um, I want I want to just be, just like very yeah. briefly ping on something that um, we were when we were talking about Tolkien and C.S. Lewis as sort of like the modern originators of their genres. Um, mm-hmm. that is fascinating to me considering that they were like buds. Yeah. Yep. Um, they were bro- the, the they, best they of were friends. Buds. Yeah. Like that's, that's like, well, they were, they were buds or they Tolkien yeah. Tolkien often was, was irritated with Lewis, but they were very good friends. Um, there's a lot of really funny quotes where, uh, I'm just like, for, from my casual understanding of it, they have the sort of friends that only two intellectuals who are very good friends can have. Where they can like, be they, irritated they, they with each other. each other. Yeah. yeah. Because like, if I remember right, like the thing that annoys Lewis and Tolkien about each other is like, which denomination of Christianity they're about they're in. Well, certainly that was part of it. Um, it's not very well known <laughs> that Lewis was agnostic when they met. Fascinating. And Tolkien was largely respond was not largely but was significant in his 
uh, reawakening of his faith, which Tolkien, I suspect, felt some felt a little bad about later on <laughs> because he felt that uh, Lewis's uh, I don't want to say proselytizing, but like his very outgoing. I, what's I can't remember what the word is, but he 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 found Tol- uh, Lewis's um, outgoing faith very ob- obnoxious. He was a good Catholic boy who just felt like you're supposed to suffer in, in private and, and go about your business. Um, That's so funny, honestly. Uh, he also didn't... He, I don't know to the degree, the degree to which he appreciated that Lewis wrote him as the slightly, the slightly befuddled main character of, of one of his less well-known series of books, the Paralandra novels. They made a deal at a bar to... Uh, Pick two, pick two genres of science fiction that they both liked, and uh, one would write uh, books about time travel, and one would write about space travel. Lewis got space travel and wrote Paralandra and wrote Tolkien as the main character, and Gosh. Tolkien tried to write a time travel story and ended up writing more about Numenor <laughs> because that's what he does. Uh, but on brand, they're very, very, very funny. Uh, but I think. Tolkien apparently was uh, of dubious appreciation of the depiction of himself in Paralandra. But apparent, but I guess everybody who knew the two of them knew exactly who the main character of Paralandra was. Okay. Um, so, two issues in. How you feeling? Good. I'm really into it. The art's gorgeous. Um, I, I'm really interested in the way in which it's engaging with the, the genres and the materials that it's... Uh, approaching and i'm very interested to see where they take it and i'm i'm looking forward to learning more about this world and like you know and also learning more about how it originated like is this something that saul like created or is it something that existed that he like you know got the got the ping Mm -hmm. for yeah absolutely all right. So, uh, yeah, next time we'll be covering issues three and four, which are Dungeons and the N. <laughs> Until next time, roll high. <laughs>But I we could have just called it like pod. Um, pie. Or pie. Pie. Yeah, that, that's exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Welcome to pie. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no. Gotta do it in the Magneto voice. Welcome to pie, X Men. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we should probably God, do a class, right? Theoretically.